of our series of how, about biblical community and what is biblical community. And I just want to say I'm so excited about where we're headed with this and what's happened. I'm especially excited about this afternoon and evening and tomorrow night. As you've seen, we've opened up a number of leaders' homes to have one-time discussion groups. These aren't permanent life groups. These are one-time discussion groups for you to respond to us about how God has been speaking to you through his word. We've been studying these different texts. How is the Holy Spirit arresting your attention? What's he speaking to you about? And then speak back to us in the process as we seek to lead and equip you as we live together in biblical community. I'm super excited because more than half of the congregation is meeting with church leaders this afternoon to discuss these things with us. And I just want to thank you for that response. If you're one who's not signed up for one of these groups and you really would like to get to speak into the process of responding to the Word of God and shaping where we go as a church, come see me after the service. We will make room for you in this. We really want each of you to have an opportunity to share with us how God is leading you and then where you believe God is leading us as a church as well. With that said, we come to our fourth sermon in what is biblical community. As we begin this one, I want to ask you this question. When you think of how we share the hope of Jesus with others, what comes to mind? When you think about outreach or evangelism or how we share the hope of Jesus with other people, what comes to mind? I think sometimes we don't even think about it, but for some who do think about it, we think of those awkward conversations. You knock on the door of a stranger and you're like, hey, you don't know me, but I'm here from a church and I want to talk to you. Or we think of handing someone a track or something like that. Again, there's nothing wrong with necessarily those things. But often, when we think of how we share the hope of Jesus with others, we think about what I am supposed to do to share the gospel and what you are supposed to do to share the gospel. We think in singular terms. In fact, we often talk of personal outreach or personal evangelism. Now, I want to be clear, those things are not bad. God is sovereign. God can work through anything. Leaving a track at a restaurant, knocking on the door of a stranger. God is big. God can do whatever God wants to do. But I want to contend this morning that that is not the primary method of sharing the gospel that we see throughout Scripture. And I think you would expect that to be, to be coming this morning in light of the series. So what is the main way God designs for the gospel to go forth? Biblical community. Now I want you to see, I think about where we've been these last several weeks. We saw from 1 Peter chapter 2, our very first week, that God created us to glorify Him as we live together as a people in community. We are made to be together, not individuals. And we're made to glorify God together. And God gets greater glory when we do that together than when we do that alone. If you remember all the imagery we saw from 1 Peter 2, we're a royal priesthood, we're a nation, we're a people. These are things that are not individual. These are collective terms for us. We saw the second week of this study from Romans 12 that God's will is for us to live together in community using everything he's given us to serve one another. The community is not about me being served and my needs being met. It's about us serving each other together in that. We take everything he's given us, our spiritual gifts, our homes, our possessions, everything, and they're gifts from God's entrusted to us to use to serve one another. And it looks a lot like love in action. It looks a lot like concern over each other's sin, affection for one another, pointing out God's grace to each other, giving to the needs of each other, hospitality, a lot of things like that. And we saw a more specific application of that last week from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we saw that God's will for us was to speak his word to each other as we live together in community, that we're to speak to each other. We saw that it's possible for our gatherings to be in vain. But they'll never be in vain if we speak the word of God, the gospel, the message of Jesus to one another as followers of Christ. When we do so, we saw last week boldly, lovingly, and relationally. So friends, if our calling for identity is in community, if the way we're to function is in community with one another, if the way we're to speak is in community, would it not make sense that the way we're to take the gospel to the world is in community as well? And so I want you to see that this morning, that it's not just simply God's will for us to work together to take the gospel to the world. It's actually saying that Jesus prays for us. And so our main idea this morning is simply this. Jesus prays we will be a loving, unified community 
that makes him known to the world. Jesus prays we will be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. Now, let that sink in for a minute. This, again, is not just God's will for us. It is. But it's something that's so important. Jesus actually prays for us about this. God the Son prays to God the Father on our behalf that we would be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. Friends, what Jesus is calling us to is not personal outreach. He's calling us to together outreach, to community outreach to the world. Jesus prays will be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. I want you to see this in Scripture this morning. So turn to John chapter 17. You know we couldn't be away from John too long, right? So John 17. As you turn to John 17, realize we're going to go into a lot more depth than John 17 when we get to it in a few months. In a few weeks when we finish up this study of community, we'll jump right back into the Gospel of John with John chapter 11. So in the months to come, we'll get to John 17, and we will go a lot deeper. There's a lot more riches to John 17 than we're going to look at this morning. And so if you're like, we didn't talk about that verse, it's okay. We're coming back to John 17 here as we get to it. But as you're looking at John 17, I want you to see, first of all, this is a prayer of Jesus, just context of what you're looking at. This has been called the high priestly prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in all of Scripture. Jesus is praying this as he's approaching the crucifixion. He's praying this with the cross in view. He's praying this, in a sense, in the shadow of the cross. And what he prays is incredibly important. And so what would you expect it to be about? A lot about who God is. But here you're going to find it has a lot to do with the community and with the community taking the gospel to the world. And I think you'll see in John 17 that Jesus prays that we will be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. So we're actually going to start in the middle of John 17. We're starting in verse 9 this morning. Go to the end of John 17. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Again, this is Jesus praying for his followers. John chapter 17, starting with verse 9. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. Now continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we pray it week after week. But Father, I pray in our hearts we would treasure your word. 
that you've not left us without revelation of you, but you've spoken and you've given us this revelation of who you are and who we are and what it means to know you and who we are in the world and how we're to live all this out. So God, would you let your word come alive? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the truth of your word and may it transform us, may it sanctify us, even as Jesus prayed it would. Would you conform us more into your image and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I want you to see here in John 17 that Jesus prays we'll be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. So first of all, this is Jesus praying. Look back in verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Again, this is prayer is just simply talking to God. And friends, don't miss the wonder of this. This is God the Son talking to God the Father, and we are invited to listen in. And don't miss the wonder of that. We are being invited in here to listen to God the Son, Jesus, talking to God the Father and talking on our behalf. And I just want to remind you of what we studied when we looked at the Trinity some months ago when Bruce Ware was here. That God is completely unified. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are completely unified. The, the will of God the Father is the will of God the Son is the will of God the Spirit. There's no division at all between them and their wills. Just listen to some phrases that we've already read. just want you to hear them here, to listen to the unity of God in all this. Jesus says things like, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Jesus says, I have given them your word. Jesus says, you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus says, the glory that you have given me. Jesus also says, you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus says, I know you. Jesus says, the love with which you have loved me. You see in all these phrases over and over in John 17, this reminder that God the Father and God the Son are unified in their will and their purpose and what they're doing here. And so realize that as Jesus is praying here, he's praying God's good and perfect will for us. Even if what Jesus is praying stretches us a little bit, that's good, that's okay. Because he's praying God's, what we saw in Romans 12, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will for us. Now again, who is Jesus praying for here? You can look at verse 9. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He's praying for his disciples, his followers. Unless we think this is some nice historical account from 2,000 years ago, look down in verse 20. Because friends, he's praying for you and me as well. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, those are the immediate disciples around him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Friends, Jesus is praying for every follower of Christ who is to come. He's praying for the church throughout all of time, and that is us. So realize as you look at John 17, this is Jesus's prayer for you and for me. This is what God the Son is asking God the Father to do in our midst and in our lives. Now, why is he praying these things for us? Well, he gives us a sobering warning of why we need these prayers. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Why is Jesus praying this? Because Jesus knows, Jesus realizes, he understands that when we follow who we're supposed to be in Christ, we're going to look really different from the world, and the world is going to hate us for that. Jesus recognizes the world is a hard place for us. And notice, though, he does not pray that the world will be an easy place for us. He does not pray that we're going to have an easy life that we can get from birth to death in the easiest, happiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. He doesn't pray that for us. Rather, he prays for us instead, not to, to get us to get raptured out when life gets tough, He doesn't pray for us to have an easy life. He prays for us to be protected from the evil one. This is Satan, the devil, the enemy. Jesus is praying for our protection against him. Friends, this is a very sobering reminder to us. As we strive to embrace God's will for our life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us, there is a very real enemy 
a very real adversary who will oppose us. And Jesus is praying for us that we will not fall prey to his schemes. He's a very real enemy who's going to put up barriers who can oppose what God is trying to do in our lives. And friends, I can't help but wonder, when we look at what we're talking about in, in all these texts about how we're supposed to live in community, and why this seems so foreign in the American church, I can't help but wonder if part of that is because there is a very real adversary who's trying to put up barriers and walls, excuses and lies in our mind to keep us from God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. But yet Jesus, our great high priest, is praying for us that we'll be protected from the evil one who is opposing God's will in our lives. In light of that, look at how Jesus begins his request for us. Look at verse 17 here. This is what Jesus is praying for you and for me to the Father. He says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is true. Sanctified. It means to be set apart. It means we're not like the world. We're not being conformed to the world. What we saw back in Romans 12 just two weeks ago. So sanctified is we're set apart. We're not being conformed. We're being more like God. But don't miss this. When we think of sanctification, it's not just being set apart, friends. It's being set apart for a task. We're being set apart for a reason. It's not just God's like, I don't want them like the world. I'm setting them apart. That's missing part of the point. We're being sanctified. We're being set apart for a very specific purpose. And that is to be a loving, unified community on mission for God. So when you read John 17, realize here that sanctification is not primarily about you overcoming your sin and you overcoming whatever struggles you have. That is a very legitimate principle from the scriptures that we need to be living out and growing in holiness. But sanctification here is not so much about you and me personally growing in holiness. Sanctification here is you and me together as a community being set apart by God, being guarded together from the evil one so that we together might be doing what God has set us apart to do, and that's to be on mission for him as a loving, unified community. I want you to see here in the text that this is what God is doing. This is what that sanctification is all about, is us being a loving, unified community. Look at verse 11. We see it in many places, but let's start there. Jesus says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's praying that together we are one. One. Look at verse 20. You'll see the idea repeated. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And only down at verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus doesn't want us to miss it, does he? One, one, one. He's repeating this idea that we're to be unified. We're to be one. And can I remind ourselves? We can't be one just with ourselves here. What he's talking about here of being one requires community. It presupposes community. This is not me being one with myself. This is us together, different backgrounds, different races, different walks of life, all coming together one in Christ. Now, what are we unified in? How are we one? And that's an important part of this text that we don't need to miss. There is a spiritual bond in here, and I don't want to minimize that, that one in Christ does include the fact there's a spiritual bond where brother and sister in Christ can connect on that spiritual level. We recognize each other as brother and sister. But friends, there's more than the spiritual bond in view here. Being one in Christ also is a unity that has to be expressed. Being one is a unity of love as well. So yes, it's a spiritual bond, but it's a spiritual bond with outward manifestations of it, that there is a love for each other. I think we see that in the text here in verse 26. Jesus said, I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Because that's absolutely astonishing. 
Jesus is praying that the love that he's experienced from the Father is a love that we will have amongst ourselves. The unity, the oneness that Jesus is praying for is a oneness and a unity that is manifest in our love for one another. This is Romans 12 from two weeks ago. This is the type of love and unity that looks like love in action, looks like concern over each other's sin, that looks like affection for one another, that looks like pointing out God's grace in each other's life to honor one another and build each other up. It looks a lot like giving to each other's needs, showing hospitality, opening our homes to each other, speaking God's word to one another. That is what we're talking about here in the type of oneness. But friends, if we stop there, that great, we have this oneness, we share life, we share all these things, life is good, we're missing something because that's not the primary point of why he gave us community. He gave us community ultimately to glorify him, but he gave us that community, that oneness, so that we might glorify him by pointing others to his glory as well, to make him known to the world. Again, Jesus prays that we will be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. And realize Jesus doesn't pretend this is easy for us. He recognizes this is tough. He's sending us out into a hard world. He's just told us that the world hates us. And a lot of that, remember, he says the world hates you, and now this is what he tells us. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. He says the world's going to hate you, and guess what? I'm sending you out to it. Go get them. What's he doing here with us? What's going on? Well, when he says the world, realize we often think of this only in terms of overseas missions. Almost every time I've ever heard John 17 taught in terms of the world, I'm here in terms of, terms of going to the nations. And so going to the world will be going to Kenya, going to Korea, going to China, going to South Africa, wherever. And that's a legitimate application. But realize the world here refers to anyone who is not a follower of Christ. Anyone who is outside the kingdom. So this is not just a text you need to get on an airplane and go overseas. This is a text that Jesus is sending us into the world of non-believers wherever they may be. And plenty, there's plenty right here in Montgomery. Because Jesus sending you into the world may mean that he's sending you into Park Crossing or to Lamp. Jesus sending you into the world may mean he's sending you into Faulkner or AUM or Alabama State. Jesus sending you into the world may mean he's sending you to your neighborhood, the person across the street. It may mean he's sending you to the person next cubicle at work or the person who works with you on the job site. It may mean he's sending you to even someone in your own home or in your own family. When he sends us out in the world, think big picture. This is him sending us to anyone who does not know Christ here. And why are we being sent to them? Well, it's ultimately to do what he did as well. Verse 18, as you, Father, sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. What did the Father send Jesus to do? Luke 19.10, to seek and to save that which was lost. So what's he sending us to do? To seek and save that which was lost. But don't miss this. He's doing this, sending us together to do this. Not individually, sending us together on mission for him. Again, listen, look at verse 20 and 21. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that... They may also be in us, so that, here's the reason why he wants oneness, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why is there oneness? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look down in verse 23, you see the same idea again. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that, here's the reason why we're supposed to be one, the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Friends, Jesus is praying that we will have love for one another so that together as we're out in the world, the world will see that love and the world will be drawn to that love. This is a unity, a oneness that is visible before a watching world. It's something that the lost will take note of. Well, it's not the only place in Scripture you see it. I want you to see another text we've already looked at, but with this in view, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a moment here. 
Because 1 Peter 2, it'll be up on the screen, is going to show us the very same idea that we already looked at. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Stop there, friends. We love that part. Look at what God has done for us. This is absolutely amazing. But then why has he done all this? Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. You can put the word world there. Among the world honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How are the lost going to come to understand who Jesus is? When we together live such good deeds before them. Where are the good deeds? I think a lot of times we think of this in terms of good deeds towards them, and that is true. But what I think in view here is the good deeds towards one another. That the world will see our good deeds, our love for each other, and they will glorify God. They will respond in worship as they come to faith in Christ as well. Our love for each other in Christian community as his people, as his priesthood, as his nation, as his people, all comes together with the world seeing it, taking notice, and ultimately some believing. But there's one more verse I want you to see that highlights this, and this is back in John. So go back to John chapter 13, just a few chapters before where we are today. John chapter 13. John 13, I think, is the best summary. If you want to take all of John 17 and put it into one verse, John does it in John 13 right here for us. I believe this is one of the most important verses on how we share Jesus with the world, and I believe it's one of the most undertaught verses on how we do outreach and Christianity and in churches today as well. I've only got verse 35 on the screen, but look in your Bible back on verse 34. I'm going to start one verse earlier. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. There is John 17 in a nutshell for us, right? Just as God has loved us, we're to experience that love to each other. Now verse 35. By this, by what this love for one another, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let that one sink in there. He doesn't say, by your love for door-to-door outreach, the world will know you're my disciples. He doesn't say, by your love for going on three mission trips a year, the world will know you're my disciples. By your love for leaving tracks at restaurants. Again, those things aren't necessarily bad, but what is it that he says the world will take notice of? Our love for one another. Our Christian biblical community is what the world will take notice of. By this, by our, the way we love each other, the way we live in community, the lost, the world will know that we are his disciples. Jesus is praying that we will be a loving, unified community that makes him known to the world. Friends, this is his plan for gospel advance, and it's so important to him. He prays for us, that the word would sanctify us and grow us and set us apart, that we would not look like the world, but we'd be transformed, we'd be sanctified, we'd be set apart for this task of loving each other as a unified community so that the watching world takes notice of that. Now, that raises a fundamental question for us, and that's this. How will the law see our love for each other? How will the law see our love for each other? Friends, this is the weakness of most churches' traditional approaches to outreach. You know, nothing wrong with doing these things. But if my outreach is me leaving a track on a table, God can use that, but there's no way to see the love of Christian community. If my outreach is just knocking on someone's door, I'm here to see you, again, God can use that. Nothing wrong with that, but they don't see the love of community. If my outreach is nothing more than me and my lost friend going to lunch, just the two of us all the time... They'll never see the love of our community. Again, God can work through all those things. But what God is calling us to and what Jesus is praying for is us together as a body of Christ to let the lost see our love for each other so they might see him. So how does the lost 
see that love. There's only one way, friends. We invite them into our community. It's the only way is for us to invite them. As we share life, as we do 1 Peter 2 of glorifying the Lord together, we invite our non-believing friends to come along in the journey with us. As we live out Romans 12 of serving one another with what God has given to us, we invite non-believers to come be part of our community. As we 1 Thessalonians 2 speak the word to each other, we invite our non-believing friends and families to join us. Friends, if you think about it for just a minute, if you're familiar with the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, we hear it taught a lot over the years, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a great command from the Lord. But if you don't know this, in that command, the word go is not the command. The word go is not even a verb. If you like English, it's a participle there. There's an imperative verb in there, and that's to make disciples. So often we hear the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, go and make disciples. Oh, I need to get on that airplane and go. And again, God calls some of us to do that. But the command there, literally it says in the Greek, as you're going, make disciples. It's a command. As you're going at your job site, as you're going to your office, make disciples. As you're going at Lamp High School or Park Crossing or at your elementary school, make disciples. As you're going around Faulkner, as you're going around AUM, make disciples. As you're going around your neighborhood, make disciples. All this is a call for us not to go. It's a command to as you are going, as you are living life, to be making disciples. Friends, what would it look like? And instead of me trying to go make disciples, just me and you go try to make disciples, just you, we come together as a loving community and as we're going, we bring non-believers along to make disciples of them. What would it look like if we took all those different gifts that God has given to the body and put that together? What if you take a person with a gift of hospitality who opens up their home? And you put with that person in community, a person who has a gift of encouragement to where non-believers feel welcomed and loved in this hurting world. And you put with them a person who has the gift of teaching, who's able to clearly articulate the word of God and who God is. And you put with them someone who has the gift of the evangelist who can really persuade and call people to faith in Christ. And you put with that someone also in this community who has a gift of service, who really wants to serve and means you. And put all those people together in community, friends. How contagious would that be? It was not all just resting on your shoulders to be the mouthpiece, but you with the gift of hospitality is joined with you with the gift of encouragement, with you with the gift of teaching, with you with the gift of the evangelist, you with the gift of serving, and together, you all together shoulder that burden. Not by you having to go just do something on your own, but by simply living life together, loving one another, and inviting non-believers you know into that mix. What would happen if we lived that way? If non-believers came into a group like that with people with such diversity of gifts and ate meals with us and watched football games with us and went on trips with us and hung out with us and talked about the Word of God with us. If they do that, friends, they're not going to see perfection. They're going to see arguments. They're going to see disagreements. They're going to see conflict. But in the midst of that, they're going to see grace. They're going to see us learn how to confess our sins biblically to each other. They're going to, they're going to watch as we speak God's Word to each other in correction and in encouragement. They're going to see all this and they're not going to see perfection but they're going to see love and they're going to see grace that cannot be explained to this world, but they can only come from above. As I look at the stats across the land and look at baptism numbers here at Gateway, throughout Montgomery, across the, the country, and you see churches not reaching as many non-believers, I can't help but wonder if some of the reason for that is because we've banked everything on me trying to share with that person, you trying to share with that person, and we carry that alone as opposed to us putting our gifts together, loving each other, and inviting the world in to watch and be part of it. I wonder what would happen if we could intentionally do this. Again, listen to Jesus' words here. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, listen to it again from John 17. I do not ask for these only. 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Friends, would you join me in praying that God would so sanctify us together through his word that we would embrace his call to be sent, to be sent to the lost right around us in our schools, neighborhoods, jobs, communities, wherever he has sovereignly placed us. Not alone, just me as the witness there, but us together bringing those lost around us into our communities to make him known. Would you join me in praying that God would begin to put us together into this type of community where all these different gifts in the body work together so that we love one another and are unified in such a way that the lost around us are going, there's something about the, my neighbors that's different about them. There's something about those people who meet in that small group every week. There's something about those people who gather at Gateway. And says, there's something different about them. I want to know what it is. And would you join me in praying that God would already be preparing non-believers in our midst. And maybe people we don't even have thought about yet, but someone at school, someone at work, someone in your family, someone who lives across the street, that God would already be working in their hearts. So when we invite them to join us in a journey of community... Their hearts are going to be ready to see it. And God's going to be preparing their hearts for it. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that your word would sink into my heart, into the heart of these precious brothers and sisters. God, that you would so stir within us just all of who you are and an understanding of who you are and your love, even perfect love within the Trinity. Yet that's what you want us to experience. I pray you would captivate our hearts with that. And God, I pray that as we grow in loving one another, it would not be primarily for us. God, it would not just be about us and my needs being met. But God, you would grow us in love for one another. Then we might serve one another. Then we might glorify you. Then we might glorify you also by pointing non-believers to you. Father, as we look around this city, there are so many, so many who do not know who you are. There are so many who don't know the joy there comes from being reconciled to you. There are so many who don't know the peace that can come from knowing you. They're hurting, they're struggling, they're lost, they're wandering. And they don't know how good you are. Yeah, Lord, not just for them. Lord, if you're as glorious as we say you are, and you are, and so much more, God, you deserve their worship. God, you deserve their praise. And God, you have put us here to be your light to them. Just mindful of 2 Corinthians 5, where you tell us you've reconciled us to yourself, and you've given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, I pray you would burden our hearts for those around us who don't know you. But God, I pray that would not be a burden that we carry alone. Because, Lord, that's a weight that we can't handle. But God, I pray that you would let us see the joy of living life together and in so doing, having the opportunity to invite those who don't know you to come watch and see and believe as well. So they might join us in this community. They might join us in worship of you because you are worthy. Or would you even this week start pricking our heart to those things? Would you start even this week burning our hearts to share life together that we might be one, that we might be unified, that we might love one another in the way you've called us to love each other? Would you even be burdening our hearts this week to even begin to be praying, whether it's a classmate, a co-worker, a family member, a neighbor, a friend who doesn't know you. Would you begin to burn our hearts, Lord, afresh, to pray for them, to plead with you, O sovereign God, for their salvation? And would you burden our hearts to start praying, Lord, use me and use my community, Lord, to reach them. And Lord, I'm excited about what's going to happen as you do that. Lord, with the joy that we'll find in doing what you've called us to do, of being set apart for that. But I'm also excited about what's going to happen as we get to see those, perhaps we begin to pray for, start bowing the knee and confessing you as Lord. So, Lord, would you move as only can move forward? We don't want it for our sake. We want it for your sake because you are worthy. Lord, as we think about these things, I'm just mindful of what the psalmist said. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Lord, as we pursue loving one another in community, as we pursue trying to bring non-believers in that community, Lord, I pray you would guard our hearts against that ugly pride that can well up so quickly. 
about trying to make a name for us or trying to make a name for our group or trying to make a name for Gateway. Lord, that's not what it's about. It's about your name, your glory, and your honor. So, Lord, would you guard us from the enemy? And Lord Jesus, even if you're still praying that we'd be guarded from the enemy, that he would not well up in our hearts whispers of pride. But, Lord, we would humble ourselves before you, humble ourselves before one another, love each other, love you, and love this world around us. Lord, that the lost might know we are your disciples and that you would be pleased. Lord, have your way in our midst. And, Lord, we commit this afternoon's time in our discussion groups to you as well. And I pray that we would respond to your word, that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind things you're speaking to us about, and we'll be able to encourage one another as we talk about your word today and tonight. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us as we sing our closing song?